Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope Presents 90s Films Turn 30. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. And we kicked off Season 2 last week with Sleeping with the Enemy, starring Julia Roberts. You can listen to that now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or however you get your podcasts these days. I've done my absolute best to try to provide this podcast on many different platforms, so there you go. You have... Multiple avenues on trying to get it, so have at it. And this week, we're, we're, we're gonna be going with a bunch of these week after week after week until I catch up again. Uh, we are celebrating the 30 year anniversary of the year 1991, so of course, I'll be going through a chunk of 1991 movies, uh, from earlier this past year, cause we're already in, we're about to head into June, and there's a couple of movies that had their 30 year date earlier in the year, but of course, we're still all around just celebrating 30 years in general of this year so it's okay to still talk about these movies so i started off late last week and i'm just going to keep doing these one after the, another until we match up with the actual anniversary dates with these certain movies that are that are being celebrated this year so i promise to to get those out uh, on their anniversary dates once once i catch up um this week we are tackling the doors starring val kilmer which is i believe the first biopic i'm going to be covering in this series so it's going to be uh it, it was an interesting rewatch i i remember seeing it once years ago but i don't really remember much about it um it was from director oliver stone and spoilers for you guys this will be the first of two movies of his we'll be covering on this show specifically for this season um it'll actually be in the season finale coming up way 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 later this year and that'll be jfk so I saw that on the list and I was like, wow, two Oliver Stone movies in the same year. And this director was really known for doing a bunch of biopics, but kind of giving his own spin on it. And for the most part, a lot of his stuff was very controversial. So, um, they weren't necessarily like box office hits, but they were in the consciousness as far as like getting the conversation going and oh, did this really happen or did he fabricate this or, you know, Oliver Stone was a really controversial director back in his day, specifically in the 90s. Um, he hasn't really done so much lately, but, you know, throughout the 90s, he delivered a lot of powerhouse biopics with big movie stars. And again, 90s are my favorite decade um, just because of star power and the rise of giant blockbusters and, you know, and all that stuff. All headlined, of course, by movie stars. So and Val Kilmer's in this one leads this one. Which he was, you know, a big movie star back in his day. So nowadays it's kind of like whatever. But you know, back in the in his day, Val Kimmer was a pretty, pretty well known actor. So uh, we'll be talking about that. And uh, yeah, let, let's get into it. Uh, Oliver Stone. This is the first of two movies on the '90s films Turn Thirty series. This is The Doors. Enjoy the show. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. Bobby Krieger, the top player. John Densmore, percussionist, 22 years old. Far out. Uh, Pamela Morrison, ornament. Raymond Daniel Manzarek, 121239, position. Name, occupation? Uh, Jim. Day. 
Sides are being chosen. The planet is screaming for change, Morrison. We gotta make the myths. You need to say the first shaman invented sex. They call him the one who makes you crazy. I'm the lizard king. I can do anything. Jim Morrison, the god of rock. Guys at Network have told us that they have a little problem with the lyric "Girl, we couldn't get much higher." They asked if you could say instead, "Girl, we can't get much better." Can you dig that? Girl, we couldn't get much higher. Love it when you sing to me. I'm the poet, and you're my muse. Try drinking blood, Mr. Morrison. You got too far. You're a poet, not a rock star. What you gonna do for Act Three? Say I was testing the bounds of reality. All right, here we go. The Doors, starring Val Kilmer, Meg Ryan, Kyle MacLachlan, Michael Madsen, Kevin Dillon from Entourage fame those of you that are entourage fans listening to this show kathleen quinlan bunch of nice supporting actors here or nice character actors that you've seen in so many different movies so it was a joy to watch them directed by oliver stone as i mentioned at the beginning of this show this movie premiered in movie theaters on march 1st 1991 um, let's take a look at the synopsis here for this movie which is given to us by boxofficemojo.com which is powered by IMDb Pro, which is a website or app that I love to use where you can check out, you know, cast listings for every movie, trivia, goofs, bloopers, uh, soundtracks, anything that you've ever wanted to know about a movie. Uh, I've mentioned this plenty of times on this show, and I'm going to say it again. You know, there's times where I'm watching a movie, and I'm like, gosh, that person, who is that? They look so familiar. Their name is on the tip of my tongue, and let me look it up on IMDb Pro, and bam, there it is. And I'm like, ah, of course, I should have known that. Um, so, yeah, I love to use that. And, of course, I love to use BoxOfficeMojo.com to check out all the box office numbers. I'm obsessed with all that stuff. There's so many different avenues you can go on this website, so... If you've ever wanted to know uh, the success or non-success of a movie, box office-wise, this is the perfect website for you. Anyways, here's the synopsis. The story of the famous and influential 1960s rock band The Doors and its lead singer and composer Jim Morrison from his days as a UCLA film student in Los Angeles to his untimely death in Paris, France at the age of 27 in 1971. Now that's... uh, on the surface, that's this looks like a pretty straight-up biopic, right? But as I mentioned before, Oliver Stone likes to give kind of like a wild, edgy, 
kind of like almost hipsterish take on things. So um, with that, the movie's a little bit different in some sorts. It doesn't play like a traditional biopic. And I'll get to that in just a second. But with, you know, doing different things like that, non-traditional things as far as like a movie goes and being a little bit weird with it, um, there wasn't much success at the box office. So this opened on March 1st, 1991, as I mentioned. It wasn't number one at the box office. It landed at number two. It lost to The Silence of the Lambs, which uh, to no fault of its own, that movie actually went to end up winning Best Picture next year, next year at the Academy Awards. So, you know, it had heavy competition. But anyways, it opened up to $9 million, which is not bad for a 90s movie. But the fact remains is that it actually ends up going to only gross $34 million domestically, which means it died out pretty quickly and a lot of people really weren't interested in it. And this movie really gained like a cult status throughout the years. And I, and I, and I noticed that, you know, through growing up in the nineties and, you know, the, the rise of home video and, you know, eventually in the latter part of the nineties DVD, I remember seeing this movie getting like multiple different releases and collector's editions and all that stuff. So this movie became popular, uh, or not, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say like super, super popular, but it, it gained a following more after its release in theaters. Uh, because again, the movie's a little bit different, so, uh, and it's a little weird. And again, I'm gonna cover that in just a bit. But yeah, 34 million domestically, and I was trying to get a budget for this movie, and I'm pretty sure it was high, because there's a lot of, uh, concert, like, like, film-like events, and there's like a lot of extras, and, you know, I'm sure they paid good money to get Val Kilmer, and a, a lot of the supporting cast that's here, you know, it's a, it's a pretty nice casted movie, which is, you know, kind of the norm for an Oliver Stone movie. He's usually good at getting good cast for and big name actors. So, you know, like I said, it, it was this movie's two hours and twenty minutes, <laughs> and I know I've mentioned uh, earlier in, in in previous episodes, and, and more specifically just now at the age that I'm at, it's like if I see a movie that's over two two and a half hours or you know the two hours and fifteen minute mark, I'm like, oh gosh, this better be worth my time. You know, I, I think movies for the most part, are too long these days. There's a lot that I've seen where it's like, man, you could have trimmed so much out of it. But with a movie like this, obviously, it's a biopic. You know what you're getting into. Okay, it's probably going to cover a lot of ground. But for me, it wasn't so much like the story. It was more of the actors in it, you know. And sometimes that that can be the driving thing, which was the case last week with Sleeping with the Enemy, where, like, the movie was, like, so-so. But Julia Roberts is so electric in it, and she's so, like, dynamic, and she pops out on the screen that that was, you know, an easy watch, even though it was a short movie. But again, the same thing happened for me with the doors where I was so captivated by all the actors on screen and the characters that they were playing. And just that I liked a chunk of the actors that are in the movie. So that, that made it an easy two hour and 20 watch for me. So yeah, not not much to report on the box office of it all. I mean, I would consider it uh, again, a failure, you know, 34 million. I mean, I would have to look at the budget, but I would say it was somewhere close to like 20 million, I want to say. So that's not good from a studio standpoint. But again, this movie did gain a cult following, and I'm sure it made a lot of its money on home video sales and DVD sales and soundtrack sales, which I'm sure like, because of course the music of The Doors is very, very apparent throughout the movie. Like it's played throughout it, which makes the movie again a much more enjoyable experience than it should be just because of how dark the story is is that a lot of the music is present in it and 
you know, the Doors music is, is very iconic and it, and it's still used to this day. You know, you think about any movie that's set in like Vegas or if it's a heist or something, they always play break on through to the other side as the trailer music. Like it's still to this day, it's used, uh, I think more recently. Not that the movie's like too close, but I remember a movie called 21 with, uh, with Kevin Spacey. I know we're not supposed to talk about him anymore, but yeah, I remember the, the, the song for the doors being on the, uh, on the trailer and the doors has been featured in, you know, a lot of classic movies and a lot of, throughout the years and, and different movie soundtracks. So their music has, has, has developed a cult following, but it's also like still been very relevant in terms of like it being used in pop culture. So that has a, a lasting effect and I'm sure that's helped it the, the case for the movie, but yeah, 34 million total box office. We can move off of that. And now we can talk about the, uh, the critical reception of the movie. And on this series, of course, Talking all 90s movies, right? Who were the main two critics that everybody paid attention to and the ones that got the most attention and the most, like, you know, markings on posters and DVD artworks and VHS artwork? Like, it was Siskel and Ebert. You know, if you got a two thumbs up from them, like, you would see it plastered on a poster on the front. Not even on the back. They would get front cover. So they were a big deal in the 90s. And it's been fun to look back on YouTube. You can search Siskel and Ebert and you can pretty much type any movie basically from the 90s and probably early 2000s. I forgot when Gene Siskel passed away. I know Ebert passed away as well, but it wasn't until a long time later. Um, you can find most of these 90s movies there on YouTube uh, and them reviewing it face to face. And I love the, the way they review movies because it's not so much as cynical as it is today. Like, uh, it's a lot of black and white now for as, with Siskel and Ebert, and I'm not saying they're the only ones, but to me, like they were the most standoutish and mainstream, um, is that they can say negative things about the movie, but not in a way where it's like trashing it. And it feels like today with critics, it's like when they, when they say something's bad, like they'll go out of the way to just bury it. Whereas these guys will give a reason or say, Oh, this is what they could have done better. You know, they have like this really neat conversation, even if it's only for a few minutes, it's more engaging than like a, you know, a three-page article from some blogger on who knows what on Twitter.com that's just trashing a movie and not really, like, giving really analysis on it or being too just, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Too pretentious on it, you know, just be straight up. And I and I like Cisco and Eber, you know, they're very, you know, their, their analysis is not even so, like, it doesn't have to be the art most articulate of words and all that stuff it's just simple things you know um and on this movie which was weird because it starts off with roger ebert and he's talking about it and he's glowing about val kilmer's performance which i agree with uh i'm not sure if he got nominated for oscars again i should have done more research but this is not really more about whether it was oscar nominated or not it's just more about the movie in general but he glows about val kilmer's performance about the music and the way it was shot and all that but then he goes on to not recommend the movie. He gives it a thumbs down. And that's basically just because of the darkness and the unpleasantness of the entire movie, which it is. And again, I'm going to get to that in just a second. But that's real weird because he's saying all these nice things, but he gives you a reason why not to recommend it and whatnot. And it's true. You know, it's, it's a real dark movie. I don't know. I don't know if it's, you know, if you're, it's a Friday night, you want to watch a movie like with your significant other, whatever, you're just having a date date night but inside or whatever it's like is that really the biopic you want to choose to watch like the music's good the performances are fine but the story is like geez this guy was just in a 
it seems like a downward spiral from the get-go and it's like there's not really anything happy about it other than the music but and Roger Ebert states that like the music's great but the like the stories behind it or how they got made it's just like man it's so depressing and so that's why he gives it a thumb down but again it's it, it it's staggering a little bit so he he's like on on the fence about it so like he says these good things about it but then he gives you the big reason why ultimately it's a thumbs down and again see it's not like so much black and white with him it's it's a it's a bit of give and take so I, again i love that analysis there's good things about the movie and again same thing for me there's things about it that i like but ultimately yes i'm kind of more in agreement with roger ebert like yeah the story is a little dark and a little just just depressing the whole time and like you don't come out of it feeling good so that's his take on it and as far as siskel goes um he liked it again said a lot of the same things but he said it made him feel good or remembering that time and roger ebert kind of goes at him like what are you talking about like this guy's like on drugs and all this stuff exposing himself and and all these other things in the movie he's like how could that what are you talking about a good time he's like well no i'm talking about the music and all that stuff he's like well buy the soundtrack he's like wait a minute why are we arguing here <laughs> like we're, we both like the movie for all these different things so i i want to say like they weren't they still didn't really have like graphics and all that stuff, but I'm pretty sure Siskel's was a thumbs up, and Ebert, of course, and he mentioned it. It was it was a thumbs down, but there was no visual representation of it. And of course, you get more of that once uh, we get later in the years with their show. But yeah, thumbs up from Gene Siskel, and a thumbs down from Roger Ebert. But again, nice conversation back and forth about things that they liked and then things that they didn't like. But you know, there's it's not necessarily like all good, 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 or all bad, bad, bad. Like there's just all of these different things and and i love those conversations that those two have so again they will always be the focus of this show as it as it pertains to actual individual critical reception of the movie now let's turn our attention to ron tomatoes and again this is only is a reference point because i want to see how the critics are responding and how the audience is responding in terms of percentage and again ron tomatoes is not the be all end all of looking how a movie is done and again always judge the movie for yourself i always do the same but it's it's just it's a neat number to look at just to just to see how it's trending. So this movie scored a fifty seven percent with critics, and that's out of sixty one reviews, and that's considered rotten. So it's got the little splat if you go on the website or if you have the app. Um, here's the consensus from the critics: Val Kilmer delivers a powerhouse performance as one of Rock's most insidiary figures, but unfortunately. Oliver Stone is unable to shed much light on the circus surrounding the star. Um, again, much like Roger Ebert, I kind of I agree with this consensus here. It's it's a it's pretty spot on. It's, it's pretty how much how I felt about the movie um, from from beginning to end. Um, love Val Kilmer's performance, but ultimately the movie, like as a biopic, in terms of like the coverage of of the of the story and all the details and all that, like. It was it was a little out there and a little weird and a little like just I don't know I didn't really get to learn much I feel like I didn't learn much as as opposed to just like it turned into like this like what's going on kind of like a Twin Peaks type thing which is interesting because Kyle MacLachlan is in this movie and he was writing the success of Twin Peaks at this time or it was about to start so you know it had kind of that little bit of a vibe in it um, the audience score however. Out of 50,000 plus ratings on this website, has it at a 79%. Now, last week, I mentioned how that translated into box office for Julia Roberts and Sleeping with the Enemy. 
But I think the high score on this one, I'm attributing it to the fact that it gained that cult following status throughout the years. So I'm going to say, it, I, I want to say it probably didn't start out high, but it grew, it has grown throughout the years and that's why it's pretty high right now. So again, this is a very cult-like movie and uh, the only reason that it's probably still like in the mainstream is because Val Kilmer gave a really good performance in it. And that's where we, we can really start to turn our attention to as far as like things that I liked or things that I didn't like about the movie. And we'll, we'll start with the first one, and it's the one everyone's talking about or talked about in the reviews, and Siskel and Eber mentioned it, is Val Kilmer is very convincing in the role of Jim Morrison, even looks like him. You know, I, I went to go look at pictures of the doors, Googled it, and then looked up video, and, you know, he got the mannerisms right. Um, didn't really look at voices as far as, like, talking. That may be the only thing I might have missed, but for the most part, I mean, he's He's pretty convincing in the role, and he kind of loses himself in it. Where, like, when I'm watching it, I'm not, like, watching Val Kilmer play that character. I'm, it feels like I'm watching that character. So he does a really good job with that. Again, the supporting cast, I'm going to add it to that, is just a big part of it. Meg Ryan uh, is a surprise here. She plays the the girlfriend slash wife, I think she ends up. Her name's Pamela. Uh, she's okay in it. Um, you know, just your typical, like, groupie girlfriend you know how they used to play these characters and you know they're kind of just there and they go through the ups and downs and for better or worse they stick with this with their you know their man even though in this movie i'm like gosh why does she stick around she knows this guy's like openly like cheating on her or hooking up with other women doing drugs with other women you know doing all these like really like mischievous things and it's like she still sticks around with him, and I don't know. I don't get that part of it, but whatever. You know, if that's the real story, you know, more power to them. Maybe they, they had a special connection or, or whatever. But I found that relationship to be really weird, and, and in the movie, it just never, it never really clicked with me, or never really like, man, I hope they end up together. But just because of of all the other things that were going on in the movie, um, I mentioned Kathleen Quinlan is in this movie. She plays like a reporter, but also like someone who was into like witchcraft or i don't know voodoo or i don't know there's a lot of weird things in this movie because there's a lot of stuff that uh jim morrison was really into like he was obsessed with death he was a very poetic person so like in the movie he's speaking a lot in soliloquy and you know just you know the meaning of everything has a meaning or, or not a meaning you know and i, I kind of like that always throws me off like not only in movies but in real life i've met people like that where like they they question everything and hey man and you know, what are we doing here? And then just stuff like that just throws me off. Like, get over yourself. So that's the type of character, at least how it's portrayed in the movie, um, is that Jim Morrison was, you know, into that po poetry, you know, obsessed with death, did a lot of drugs, acid, like to do a bunch of like trippy stuff, um, alcohol, of course. And then, of course, where Oliver Stone gets kind of weird with it, and you know does different things is that there's parts of the movie where like it turned into like this acid like dream state and you know the movie changes from scene to scene and you're like again it gets very twin peaksy and you're like what the hell's going on this is like very weird and this is kind of going on for a little bit so i don't know if there's a little bit of lynchian vibes there that oliver stone may have picked up from twin peaks or or whatnot so it, it's very very odd at times and i'm sure like as a casual movie goer you're like well this I was looking for just a straight up biopic and this kind of does that, but also like just spins out of, off the rails for a little bit. But again, it, again, I think it's trying to really 
show you the perspective of the movie from Jim Morrison's eyes. But again, it's just very, it's a very depressing story. And I, I, right from the get go, the guy's like just very odd and like just, you know, usually in, in, in movies about downfallers, usually starts like at a happy place and then it just slowly descends into that. This was like, it was literally started like, already like on a depressing note and just kept get, getting worse and worse and worse and worse and yeah he builds up the band and they have that camaraderie for a little bit but that that camaraderie doesn't last that long and there's a lot of tension throughout the entire movie and you know this this guy jim morrison is just such a wild card like you don't know if he's gonna like you know sh- be sober enough for for a show or show up on time or what is he gonna do like and again, and I know if that's the point of the character and how he was, then, you know, so be it. But as a, just me watching as a movie, I'm like, man, like what a really depressing story. Like where's the bright light at the, uh, of all of this and it just not being like the music. Of course, the music is the best part of it. Cause that's the stuff that still lives with us today. But, you know, as a character and all the other people around him, like there was just nothing really that entertaining or you know, nothing really fun to look at afterwards. Like once I was done with my rewatch and uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, it is available on HBO max right now. So go check that out. If you're subscribed to that, you can, you can see it there. Um, yeah. Once I got through m- with my rewatch, it was kind of like, man, I, I need to watch something like fun. Like just as it was just sad and like, yeah. And I get some stories are like that, but again, when you're making a motion picture, like, in some part of it, you want to feel good, right? You want to escape, escape, and I know that's what Jim Morrison was trying to do. We read a lot of his escapism, but in a really n- non-traditional way in which you shouldn't do things. Um, yeah, I just left that movie feeling very like just not happy and like, why did I sit through this? But again, the actors are fine in it, and that's probably my biggest thing of what I liked about it. And don't get me wrong, I'm in, I'm all in for like the weird shit. I'm all about, I'm like one of the weirdest guys you'll ever meet. Trust me. I'm, I'm random as shit. You follow me on Facebook. I'll post the most randomest like stuff that just doesn't make any sense or if it's completely out of left field. And I'm all for, I'm all for it. But here, when, it, when you start mixing it with the drugs and, 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 and death and, and all these weird like witchcrafty stuff, that's where I'm like, eh, nah, you know, the, even I have a limit, right? <laughs> on my, on my randomness and my weirdness and, and stuff like that. I'm like, eh, I could do a little less of that. And, you know, two hours and 20 minutes of this is a, was a little too much. I, I can watch the movie and fine. I'm not like offended by it or anything, but yeah, I, I don't need to see it again. Uh, it's good for a one time watch. If you want to see good performances, like you want to see like an actor just go full on in on the character. And Val Kilmer is just like a re- one of those really good actors that um, really is underrated overall. And it's actually news came out this week that the A24 is going to produce a documentary on him. And I can't wait to watch that, which I think Amazon is going to distribute or something like that. Um, that's going to be fun to see because this guy has really had a really nice career that nobody ever really talks about as far as like being one of the top ones because he's done a lot of good movies. And again, this was just a notch on his belt. And again, if the Oscars were, if this movie were coming out like this year, he would for sure be like a shoe in for like best actor. But I don't know back in 1991. Again, I would have to have done extensive research on that. But again, this is more just about the movie in general. And he does a really fantastic job. And if you take away anything from it other than the music is the great performance by Val Kilmer. So we'll leave it at that. 
Um, another thing I liked about this movie uh, was obviously the 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 use of the music. The music is just very present, and I think they used all the original recordings. So I don't think Val Kilmer did any original like singing. Like I know they they did that for stuff like Rocket Man, which came out. Uh, couple of years ago was Aaron Edgerton, which was doing, he was doing it on Elton John and, but he was doing the singing and, and some other, you know, actors do that. Like, um, Joaquin Phoenix did the singing of some of the Johnny Cash songs, but I think this was all like Doors music because it literally all sounds exactly the way when you listen to the, the actual artist, you know, album on Spotify or whatever. So I like the usage of it and the fact that it's so present throughout the movie, even when it's just the characters like, roaming around and the songs are playing it's not like something like queen where <laughs> they have them one of the most ridiculous scenes in the movie and i'm sure maybe it played out like that or not but i think in the movie it just comes off super cheesy and whatnot is when they're they're developing the song for another one bites the dust and it's literally during them fighting are they're arguing over something and it leads to one of the actors like doing the beat for another one bites the dust and that's how they get the song and i was like man that's so if it happened that way whatever but it's so fucking cheesy the way it played in the movie but here in the movie, like in in the doors, um, whenever stuff's going on and they're just playing like different songs of uh, classic songs from from the doors, and it just blends in well with the movie. Again, there's a lot of bright spots, but in the end, like the movie's just the eh. But um, performances, music, and you know, I'll even give Oliver Stone, even though he does like the weirdness of it. I mean, just directs a pretty pretty decent enough movie. Not his best. Where would I rank it? You know, he's done a. Uh, He's got a good filmography, but as far as like a rewatch of his, uh, I'd probably put this one probably low on the list just because of the subject matter. The performances are great, but the subject matter is just kind of a little too dark for me, um, even though I can handle a lot. But am I going to rewatch this movie like three times like within this year, the next couple of years? No. Could I watch this movie again like years down the line? Yeah, sure. If somebody wanted to invite me to watch it or, you know. If my next girlfriend or wife out there is a huge fan of The Doors or she wants to watch it and if it's one of her favorite movies, sure, I can sit through it. But me personally, as a pick for myself, I would never go down that road again. Um, and those are those are just a couple of things. There are not really much to dive into there. Um, what can we move on to next? All right. Um, I didn't really, really look at recasting this because... Um, it's hard once they've nailed like the main singer, Jim Morrison, which they did with Val Kilmer. So it's like, I don't know, to do it again would kind of be like a downscale. Um, the best example I saw was like, I think Ashton Kutcher did like Steve Jobs and then like a couple of years later or a year or two or a year later, the Aaron Sorkin written movie came out and that starred, uh, Oh my gosh, what's his name? Why am I blanking? What's wrong with me? I'm good with this stuff. Uh, Michael Fassbender, he played Steve Jobs, and I thought he did a really, really amazing job. And it's like it really trumped what uh, what Ashton Kutcher did. But again, that's just my opinion. But Val Kilmer nailed it here with Jim Morrison, and to try to recast it, I think would just bring it down a notch. So I didn't really think about recasting this movie if they did it today. Plus, I don't think you, you could find a lot of. Uh, Good young actors now. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, the death of the movie star, man. Like, I'm telling you, this is, we're coming at a real weird time in Hollywood where 
the focus is now more on diversity than the actual like talent and building up of movie stars. It's it's all about the diversity, which I get, but it shouldn't be the only thing when making movies. Um, yeah, it'll be hard. Like the the character actors that are in this movie in the supporting roles are all great. Like they're all like people that you know from different stuff, and not just like guys or girls that are there like just to fill up a role. Um, so yeah, I would leave the recasting alone because Val Kilmer just nails it with Jim Morrison. Um, would this movie in 2021 be a theatrical experience? Would it get released in theaters or would it be a streaming, um, movie? Honestly, with the way things are going and the way everyone's shifting to television, this, they would make this into a series. They would make it a limited series. It would probably be on HBO Max so they could get the most out of like being explicit with it, with the drugs and the nudity and all this. There's a lot of nudity and drugs in this movie. Um, so HBO could go all wild with that. They would make it like a 10 episode limited series event, the doors. And, uh, it would be this huge TV event that would be released week to week. And I think, I think they would try with the cast, but I don't think it would be as top notch as the one that they got in 1991. Um, but that's how I see it. It would definitely be a streamer, and uh, again, we're in, this was back in 1991, and and now we're in 2021, 30 years later. And the first two movies I've done have gone would be now streaming as opposed to the theatrical release that they got. So think about it. Like last week, Sleeping with the Enemy, right? A hundred and like thirty million at gross, right? Like that's a huge hit. And in 2021, it would just be a movie on Netflix or whatever, and it wouldn't even get the chance to get that exposure, that that buzz or anything like that. It would just be lost in a streamer and get added to somebody's list. Maybe a couple people see it here and there, but it doesn't get the buzz that it does. Um, and even with the doors, if you did it as a streamer, like maybe, yeah, you could get some buzz on it, but like not as much as a, as a box office theatrical release. It, uh, even though this one didn't make money either back in 1991. But I think if you went the theatrical route this year, in, in the present day, you could market it better and really sell the music of it so that you could entice people to go watch. I mean, again, one of the big selling points of Bohemian Rhapsody was the, the music of Queen. That's what sold it, you know, and it, it brought a resurgence to it. You know, yeah, people were interested in the story, but it was more about those iconic songs. And, you know, I know Queen has more iconic music than The Doors, but The Doors is still pretty relevant. And there's a lot of people out there that do love their music. And, you know, they developed a big following throughout the years. So, yeah, I mean, it is possible that it could be a a theatrical release in 2021, but I don't think the studios would risk it. And that's just that's just the way things are trending. It's it's big movies, big IP and not so much about the acting, the small scale and character stories, you know, but that's just the way I see it. Hopefully I'm wrong. I would love to be proven wrong, but, you know, it's not trending in that direction. And lastly, um, does this movie age in the 30 years that it has existed in our pop culture zeitgeist? Um, I'm going to say yes, because like I said, the music is still very relevant. So you can always reference back to that because you can hear that song in a trailer and people will be like, who's that? And like, oh, and you Google it or you ask a friend or whatever. And it's like the doors. Oh, well, who are the doors? You can Google them, and then you'd see, like, oh, there's a movie on them, and then you can go back and check on it. And uh, so it's got a nice lifespan there. Um, as far as, like, the content in the movie, there's a lot of weird stuff in it, you know, as far as, like, 
you know, with the drugs and, you know, the, the treatment of women and stuff like that. So that stuff hasn't aged well in the 30 years. But again, if we do that, then we're going to do it with every single thing and you can find flaws in everything. So it's not really worth it to do it. You have to think about it as a movie of its time and a movie also like that is based in the 60s and 70s. So again, you're going back decades more. So, yeah, of course, things were way different back then. So um, I don't think you can fault that as, as part of its uh, aging 30 years. But as a movie in general, as a whole biopic, while it may not be one of the best ones out there in, in terms of the subject matter, it's still like, I mean, it's a watchable movie, especially if you're someone like me who, again, enjoys movie stars, enjoys character actors, which I love. I love to death. I love spotting like more than like the main stars, which is of course why you turn into certain movies. But one of my favorite things is always spotting like, oh, who are the supporting people? Who's who's in this movie? Like, and then you start to see like the names and the credits, and like, oh man, I'm gonna have a fun time spotting who this person's playing and whatnot. So that for me has aged finely. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a uh, an old Roger Ebert thumbs up as far as it aging nicely. Um, and yeah, that's the, uh, that's the doors. It's not really the most in-depth analysis of it, but it's more of a movie. Again, if you're somebody that enjoys performances and acting characters a little bit more than the story, this is probably a movie for you. But again, be forewarned. You're going to have like some of that weird trippy stuff that happens in the movie that kind of like takes you out of it. But if you're in and you're okay with that, you'll have a fun two hour and 20 minute ride. And that's going to do it for this episode. Tune in next week when we return to the world of the Ninja Turtles with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. And uh, a little bit of a spoiler, I'm going to be bringing back a guest for that one. So stay tuned. That'll be coming next week on Palace Off the Top Rope presents 90s Films Turn 30. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you can find this episode on Spotify. Search Palace Off the Top Rope. Hit that follow button. You can listen on podbean.com. I share my social media, pa- I share it through my social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through there from Podbean. You can download the app. Um, or if you're an Apple person, you have the iPhone, the iPad, all that stuff, subscribe on Apple Podcast for me, folks. Leave me that five star review. I would greatly appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I love doing this show, especially the spinoff series and revisiting and checking out some of these movies from the 90s for the first time. It, it's it's going to be a fun journey, and, and I'm glad that I'm continuing and I'm here in season two. So I, I've shown some commitment to it, so uh, I know it's going to be a bumpy ride, and sometimes I won't get stuff in on time. Like, again, I'm late on this one. This was a March 1st release, so I'm already a couple of months behind but again, we're we're celebrating 30 years of 1991 this year, so it's a it's a year round celebration. So I hope you've enjoyed this small conversation I've had on the movie, and uh, not that you're going to learn anything from it. But again, these are just my thoughts and my perspective on the movie. And if you're ever wanting to come on the show and discuss a 90s movie or one that you think would be worth talking about, let me know, and and I'll put you in on an episode. Again, this is always a a podcast that's got an open invitation. I really won't say no to anyone unless you're going to be like an asshole or a piece of shit, but I would hope not. Other than that, I, my door's pretty much open for this show if you ever want to come on. So let me know. Message me, call me, text me, whatever. 
Facebook me, Twitter me, Instagram me. Is that, is that even a thing? Instagram me? I don't know. I don't whatever. Hit the DMs. Um, and that's going to do it. And we'll see you next week for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the U's. God bless you guys. There are things known and things unknown. And in between you know the are the doors. An Oliver Stone film. The doors rated R. See it March 1st at theaters everywhere.